0: morning church. How are you this morning? Good? Let's get myself settled here. You can take a seat. Who went to Hillsong over the last week? How good was it? I've got my uh, stickers, spheres stickers for those who are there. Do you like my glasses? These are our new glasses. These are multifocals and it's um, the first time I've ever worn multifocals, which means I can see those people right in the back row. And I can also see my hand, but I am a little dizzy because I only got them yesterday. It apparently takes two weeks to get used to them. So if I fall off the platform, I'm not drunk in the spirit. I'm just getting used to my glasses, all right? Steve's promised he would catch me, so that's good doesn't matter where I fall off, he'll catch me. He's that kind of a husband. I brought these as a bit of a prop. I'll explain those to you later. So we've been talking recently on a series called On Purpose. This is kind of part two of the series. So we're really building on our mission statement. Can anyone tell me what our mission statement is? It's to reach people... Raise disciples and release leaders, okay. We'll keep building on that, Ben. <laughs> so in the last two weeks, Ben's been speaking on the topic of reaching people. Um, in the first week, he uh, did a great sermon, Shake It Off. I was a bit disappointed he didn't sing the uh, Swifty song. Got any Swifty fans here? It was a great message. Then last week, he spoke on extending our reach. By enlarging our hearts, engaging our gift and expressing our story. So I want to talk to you today about the second part of the mission statement, which is raising disciples. First of all, I want to ask you that question, what does a disciple actually look like? What does a disciple of Jesus look like? Do they look like this? Is it a a white-bearded man of a certain age wearing a robe and a halo? Do you think so? Some people were shoving some people sitting next to them. (laughs) Historically, it might be true, Uh, the original disciples were men with beards, no doubt. I don't think they wore halos, and they weren't white. Did you know that? (laughs) They were Middle Eastern He would have had lovely olive skin, as did Jesus, by the way. He wasn't actually white. So does a disciple look like this? This is men and women at a Billy Graham crusade. Does a disciple look like this? That is Carl Lentz, the lead pastor of Hillsong, New York City, with his tats. I would say that he's a disciple and a great disciple maker. Now look to your left and your right, the people sitting next to you. Does a disciple look like that? Hopefully the answer is yes. <laughs> so what is a disciple? I'm glad you asked that question. The Greek word for disciple is methetis, and it literally means a follower or a learner. So a disciple is someone who follows another So, as disciples of Jesus, we closely follow Jesus. We learn from his ways, his teachings, his doctrine. And by the grace of God, we try to live like him. We adopt his lifestyle. So, I want to talk to you today about four words that start with the letter L. And I believe these are four qualities of a disciple and a disciple maker. And these words are losing, who likes to lose? No one. Learning, leading and loving. So that's the title of my message today. So you might know what the Great Commission says, but let's look at it. It's from Matthew 28, 18 to 20. And these are Jesus' words to you and I. So he says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. He actually gives it to us now. Therefore you go and make disciples of all nations, baptising them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And I love this last bit. And surely I'm with you always... To the very end of the age. So all of us are called to go and make disciples, aren't we? All of us. I love that thought that it's God working with us and through us. Just as Ariel said and Anna said this morning. Don't you love that? God actually partners with us. He co-missions us. It's his mission and he works with us. So when I talk to you today about the first quality I believe we have as disciples, and that is we're actually losers. As a disciple, when it's disciple maker, you are a loser. Isn't that good news? So turn to the person next to you and say, you are a loser. <laughs> <clears throat> so before you take me out and stone me, let me explain that biblically. I can explain from the Bible why you're a loser. But first of all, let's talk about winning. Who likes to win? We all like to win, right? We won the State of Origin series, the Blues. Finally, after how many years? Lots. <laughs> Whether you're playing Mario or Scrabble, we all like to win, right? Steve likes to win. If you ever have the opportunity to play a card game with him, don't. He's a card shark. He's one of these people who has a um, poker face. Don't be fooled by the big friendly grin. To have this perfect poker face, He'll have a winning hand. We don't play poker, by the way. And he will just wipe you off the floor, without any sort of regrets. You can see that in his face. So don't play um, cards with Steve. I remember as a child, our family, my whole family, were very serious with the way they played games. So um, we would play Scrabble till late at night at my pop's place and I'd be thinking, hello, people. I've got school tomorrow. Why are we still here? It'd be like 9.30 at night. And we were still there because no one had actually won the game yet. So I said to keep playing. The truth is no one actually likes to lose. But here's the thing. If you are a disciple, if you're a disciple of Jesus, Jesus tells us that we will have to lose. And let me explain that, Luke nine twenty three to 25, if you go to the next scripture. Thank you. Jesus says this, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will save it. What good is is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit their very self? It's true, isn't it? I love this um, thought from Timothy Keller about discipleship. He says, discipleship is not just a matter of bending your will to Jesus' will. It's melting your heart into a whole new shape. So really, when we gave our lives to Jesus, we got a whole new identity. It's like we gave our hearts to him. He took them. He melted them down. And he made us a brand new person. Pretty cool, isn't it? But Jesus says in verse 24 of Luke 9, whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will save it. So what's Jesus actually talking about here? He's not talking about our actual physical life. If you were talking about that, he would have used the Greek word bios, from which we get the word biology. He actually uses the word psych, P-S-Y-C-H-E, which means self. So what he means is, the word life here means the seat of our personality, the seat of our feelings, our desires, our affections, our heart, our soul. So Jesus is being pretty radical here, isn't he? He's saying, if you want to save your real self, the real you, your real personality, your desires, that place from where your real affections come, then you have to lose your old identity, your old way of doing things. Your old way of having an identity and gaining a sense of self has to go In a sense, you have to die to it. And what he's saying is I can give you a whole new identity, a new true self. So Jesus isn't talking about losing yourself in the Eastern philosophy. That's a pretty crazy idea, isn't it? Apparently in Buddhism, the deepest consciousness of enlightenment is losing all self that you're an individual self. So it's as if the boundaries between you and reality disappear. And there's a loss of individual self. But notice here Jesus doesn't say, I want you to lose yourself. He actually says, lose yourself to find yourself. He's also not adopting the Western philosophy where we're always trying to find ourselves. You notice that in Western society, we're always kind of trying to find ourselves, find our identity. Causes lots of anxiety. Ironically, this is what Jesus is actually saying. He's saying you're never going to find out who you really are by trying to find out who you really are. He's actually saying you're going to have to lose yourself in serving me. So when we lose ourselves in Christ, we find out who we truly are. We find our true identities. And Jesus reminds us gaining things won't help us find out who we are. Have you found that? Stuff doesn't really help you find out who you are. At the end of this chapter, Luke 9, we meet three guys who seem to have some stuff in the way of them finding out and following Jesus. So, you know, a comfortable house, a place to lay our heads. That's not a bad thing. But your identity is not in your house, is it? What happens if a flood comes and it's gone? Does that mean you're nobody now? A successful career won't help us find our identity. You could lose that job. In some cultures, you're nobody unless you have a family. But our identity is not even in our relationships. What happens if that relationship breaks up? Are you a nobody now? No, you're not. So Jesus reminds us we could gain the whole world and still not find ourselves. Here's some questions I want to ask you today. who or what tells you who you truly are is it your childhood is it the messages that were spoken by significant others in your lives is it your career your job description does that tell you who you are is it your house or your car is it your facebook profile Let me take you back to Jesus' words. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life, for me, will save it. So here's the best bit. The reality is what we lost, we had to lose anyway because it was absolutely no good to us. Your old self, your broken identity, your corrupted identity, that identity that was shaped and distorted by the world was not the real you anyway. And what you gained was a brand new identity. You're a new creation in Christ. Not built on stuff, but built on Christ. Solid foundation. Built on what he's done for us. Galatians 3.27 actually says that we're clothed with Christ. I find that an amazing scripture. Because what it means is when God looks at you, he sees Jesus. Isn't that amazing? In spite of all the wrong we've done, God sees Jesus when he looks at you. So we become the walking, talking representatives of Christ on the earth. What an amazing privilege. We're found in Christ. We're clothed in Christ. Christ. So I want to uh, read this quote for you from David Guzik. Talking about this scripture, he says, You don't lose a seed when you plant it, though it seems dead and buried. In truth, you set it free to be what it was always intended to be. It's true, isn't it? When you gave your life to Christ, you changed. And now you are who God wanted you to be. It's the real you. So as a disciple and a disciple maker, you are first of all a loser. But what you gained is far more than what you lost. You've got a brand new identity in Christ. Secondly, as a disciple and a disciple maker, you are a learner, which is why I've got these here. So who is a parent of kids on their L plates? Raise your hands. Got any here? It's a scary uh, business, isn't it? <laughs> you never head out of home without these in your glove box, maybe a couple of Valium as well. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Here's the thing about learners. As a learner, before you head out the driveway in your Holden or Ford or whatever you drive, you have to um, pass the written test. And then you do 120 hours of driving instruction with a competent instructor. And then you do a a test and you move on to your red peas for a minimum of one year. And then you do another test and you move on to your green peas for two years. It's a long process, isn't it? And then you do another test and you gain a black licence and you no longer need to drive with those P plates or those L-plates. But as a disciple of Jesus, we have these all the time. We are forever learners. We never stop learning. We never graduate to our P's or a black licence. So, do you love learning? Hope you do. Because we've got a lifetime of it. I actually think that's what keeps us young. For those that are more, have more life experience... I don't think it's um, the clothes we wear or the moisturisers that we use makes us young or keeps us young. It's the ability to keep learning, to have a soft, pliable heart. So we're kind of forever students. We're like those students that enrol in a subject and then once they're finished, enrol in another. I think they're called professional students. Charles Spurgeon writes this. He writes, "You cannot be a disciple who does not learn but invents." So we're not really making up this stuff. We're learning as Jesus teaches us. You know, at school we all had our favourite teacher who loved school and who, who would say I loved school. Few people, <laughs> not very many, who would say they didn't like school possibly more. It's a lot of hands up here. What's going on, people? I think the thing about school is often we thought, well, these things I'm never going to use in life. And um, I do still feel school's a little bit geared more towards um, girls than boys, but it's getting better. I personally love school because I love learning. And... um, I remember my second class teacher, Miss Farrelly. She was amazing. She was beautiful. Um, She used to play guitar and piano. We always used to sing that song, "Kumbaya." Who remembers that song? Back in the seventies, "Kumbaya, my Lord, Kumbaya." I don't know what that was about. But um, I loved Miss Farrelly because she really loved teaching. She loved the kids. She loved the class. She loved me. I mean, why wouldn't you? And um, she was creative and passionate. And um, I remember she was the only teacher that let me just paint whatever I wanted to. Most teachers were pretty rigid and prescriptive about the way they led art lessons. But she was the only one that said, You can paint whatever you want, Felicity. And I remember thinking, Are you serious? This is awesome. But no matter how wonderful your teachers at school might have been, think about this. We have access to Jesus, the greatest teacher of all. Who can teach you like Jesus can? No one. And we have the Holy Spirit living in us. He's our counsellor. He's with us 24-7. So we have free access to Jesus. He's the all-knowing all-seeing, all-patient and creative God. And unlike the teachers you had at school, he might have sent you to the headmaster. (laughs) don't know why I looked at Steve then. (laughs) I don't think he did. I think it was pretty good. Jesus never gives up on us. He never loses patience. He's never, ever, ever going to give up on you. He'll just keep teaching you. How good is that? I love the story of Nicodemus. We read about him in John 3. So we know he was a Pharisee and he was a member of the Jewish um, ruling council. And he goes to Jesus at the dead of night and he asks him some really critical questions. And what's amazing is that he is probably of a certain age with more life experience as a Pharisee. Yet he's still open to learning. And he asks these questions, how are we born again? That's a good question, isn't it? It's a question that we've been using for thousands of years since. He asks, how do we enter the kingdom of God? So what's amazing is Nicodemus is is an older man, a Pharisee, and yet he becomes a disciple of Jesus. We know this because later in John 19, we see Nicodemus accompanies Joseph of Arimathea and they help embalm Jesus' body. And Nicodemus carries 34 kilos of aloe and myrrh. That's a lot, isn't it? 34 kilos. So never say you're too old to learn. Never say you're too young to learn. We just need to keep on learning because that's what Jesus is asking of us. And I love John eight thirty one to 32. Here's the thing. The things that Jesus will teach you are actually helpful. This is one of my favourite scriptures. He says, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. So Jesus' teaching is transformational. The truth will transform you. The truth will confront you and sometimes it will actually affront you. In other words, offend you. Anyone ever been offended by the truth of Jesus? I have. You think I don't do that, Jesus, do I? Actually, yeah, you do. But unless I listen to that truth, I can't change. I can't be made free. So, I want to ask you these questions this morning. Are you still learning from Jesus, or do you feel like you know it all? Is your heart soft to his discipline? And are you willing to teach others what you've learned? So, remember, we are uh, losers, but we're really winners and we're learners. We're also leaders. As a disciple and a disciple-maker, you are a leader. So Ben will talk about this more in the coming weeks. But let me just say this. Once you become a disciple, you are one who follows Jesus. And then naturally, we want to lead others to follow where we've gone, don't we? Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11.1, Follow your example as you follow the example of Christ. So we've found the way. Now we want to show others the way too. So this was the train that Jesus gave his disciples. In Matthew 4.19, he says this. Come follow me and I'll send you out to fish for people. So first of all, Jesus makes disciples or followers of us. And then he encourages us to help others to follow as well. So as a disciple and a disciple maker, you're a leader, an influencer, and a discipler of others. might just pray quickly for Ian and Janet. It's a bit hard to preach when it's going on. Father God, we just thank you that you know what's going on in Ian's body. We thank you, Jesus, that you're Lord of all. Father, we just pray healing and wholeness on his body, whatever is going on. We pray against any crisis. Yeah, just pray peace for Janet and for those dealing with him right now. If a medic goes to get here quickly, and your hand be upon him. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Are we all good? Right, back to it. So you are a leader. Wherever you've gone, wherever Jesus has taken you, Jesus would encourage you, now teach others what you've learned. Lead them as well. So have you ever wondered this? If Jesus were walking on the earth today, what would he look like? Would he look like this? Or maybe this? If you walked into the room right now bodily, I mean, he's here spiritually, but if you walked in bodily, would you realise it was Jesus? Would you uh, go and say hello to him in the welcome lounge after the service? Would you make him a coffee? If Jesus had an Instagram account, would it look like this? I don't know if you can read that, but... Apparently, Google says that Christians... There are 2 billion Christians on the planet right now. That's a lot, isn't it? I wonder if there are close-following Christians or if they're, um, you know, they write Christian on a, a form when they go to hospital. Jesus... Purportedly has two billion followers, but he's following only one, his father in heaven. I wonder what uh, pictures he'd have on his Instagram profile. But let's talk about following. It's a word that's used a lot right now. If you've got an Instagram account, Facebook account, you're following maybe hundreds of people, maybe you're super popular and a thousand people are following you, I don't know, but... um, All of us follow a bunch of people on Instagram. Let me just demonstrate this. Here's a few people that I follow on Instagram. Some random artists. And Kensington Royal Palace, because I like um, Prince William and Kate. I think they're doing good things for young people. (laughs) If we go to the next slide. I follow lots of random pages of giraffes and... Elephants and cats and dogs because I like animals. And I follow pages of pastors and leaders like Julia Rebell. But here's the thing, I've never actually met any of these people. I probably never will. I'd like to meet some of those giraffes one day. (laughs) I probably won't have a coffee with any of these people or a green tea as I drink. I'll never share a home with them. I probably won't eat the meals that they eat. I'm not going to adopt their teachings or lifestyles. So do you see what I mean? That's what we call following. So following on Insta is kind of almost like following from a distance. It's a bit like stalking, really. Because we follow these people, we know all about them, but we've never actually met them. But when Jesus says in Matthew 4, 19, come follow me and I will send you out to fish for people, He's saying, I want you to really follow me. I want you to know me. He says, I want you to come and live with me and I will live with you. I'll move right into your house, right into your lounge room. I'll have breakfast with you. I'll go to Macca's with you. I'll go to work with you. I'll go to the movies with you. I want to do everything with you and I want you to learn my ways. So as followers of Jesus, that's what he's actually asking, that we would follow him closely. So as a disciple and a disciple maker, you're actually a leader. Maybe if I can get the team up again. I just want to ask you these questions. Are you following Jesus closely? Or are you following him like you'd follow a rock star on Instagram from a distance? And who's following you right now? Who's actually learning from you? Who are you influencing? Who are you discipling as Jesus disciples you? So as disciples, we are losers, but we're really winners. We're learners and we're leaders. And then finally, we are actually lovers. The greatest gift you can give the world is the love of Jesus. So I want to go back to that original question I had for you. What does a disciple look like? If you met one on the street, would you know they were a disciple? Jesus actually had the answer to that question in John thirteen thirty-four to 35. He says, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So what does a disciple look like? They actually look like love. They look like love. They smell like love. They taste like love. What was it that attracted me to the church when I was 21? It was love. It was a bunch of young adults who loved me, I'd just lost my job about six months before um, was involved in a car accident on the way to a job interview so I lost my car, broke up with a boyfriend so I had no job no car no boyfriend and so if my life was in those things if it was in my job if it was in my car if it was in relationships, I had nothing it was a perfect time for Jesus to come in because he was what I really needed. I love these quotes from Bob Goff as we finish up. He says, here's our job as believers, love everybody always. It's pretty simple, isn't it? So that's our job description as the church, love people. We can do that, right? I know you guys are really good at doing that. And I think that's the power of discipleship making. We can have a complicated plan, but it's really this simple. It's just go out and love people. And they're attracted to that love, as I was. They want to know what you have. It's like what you have I want. Love is powerful. It's the power of discipleship making. It's God's immeasurable, uncontainable, unstoppable, indescribable love. That's what makes the difference. I love this next quote from Bob Goth. Quit waiting for a plan. Just go love everybody. So that's our discipleship plan. Go love everybody. And then this final quote from Bob Goth. When you love people like Jesus, you get messy. Have you noticed that? Loving people is messy. Yeah, it's messy. It might mean sitting on a couch with someone late at night, crying with them because there are no words. It might mean getting involved with people with addictions. Hey, we probably all have addictions. Some of us are addicted to Facebook. It might mean getting your hands physically dirty, helping dig holes and planting trees with people or helping clean their gutters or physically helping people who are sick. But... Jesus loves that because it's love, and love is transformational. As disciples and disciple-makers, we are lovers of people. I want to ask you, who do you need to reach out to and love today? Who are you avoiding because maybe it's a bit messy? Maybe you might get hurt. Maybe you don't have all the answers. You know, none of us have all the answers. That's okay. We point the way to Jesus. He has all the answers. He is the answer. So it's the great commission to go and make disciples. It involves that losing so that we win. It involves learning, leading, and loving. So as disciples and disciple-makers... We first of all lost our life, so we gained a true identity in Christ. We are daily leaning on Jesus. We yoke to him. We're learning from him. And then as we learn, we can teach others what we've learned. The student becomes the teacher. Where we've gone and we've found the way, we can lead others to find the way too. Then finally, as disciples and disciple-makers, we are lovers. We love people. We can love them right into the kingdom of God because love is the greatest catalyst of the world. Let me pray for you quickly as we finish up this morning. Thank you, Jesus, that you do call us to go and make disciples of all nations. And thank you, Lord, it's not a complicated plan. It's so simple. Thank you. It just involves following you, Jesus. You live in us. You've changed us from the inside out. May we follow you. And may others follow us. And we thank you, God, that you've promised. Surely you're with us to the very end of the age that you'll never leave us, you'll never forsake us. So Holy Spirit, would you do what only you can do? Would you prompt us, Lord Jesus, this week to speak to people at work? Maybe just to say a kind word to a neighbour. Help us, Lord Jesus, as agents of change, as you work through us, Holy Spirit to follow that prompting and to be willing to share what we know with others, that they too might find that truth that sets them free as we have. Thank you, Jesus. We love you. We thank you, God, that you're with us. Thank you, Lord. Amen.